talk a lot about intention and we talk a lot about, um, you know, practicing and, and really knowing yourself as an athlete so that you kind of take a lot of the question marks out of the workout, out of your movements, out of your pacing, out of your rep schemes, et cetera. Um, you know, and, and that's the thing I think we try to fight the most is, is doubt and fear. Um, and, and if, cause, because if you have an athlete thinking that can go into a competition, the workouts come out and there's no, there's no doubt there. There's no fear. There's just essentially like, okay, this is the workout. This is how I'm going to attack it. And, you know, I'm in, I'm in my zone. I'm in my bubble. I'm not worrying about what anyone else is doing and I'm maximizing my potential and point value on every single workout. Um, you know, that's, that's a big thing. And that's really what we preach. Um, but I think trying to, to get that voice out of your head, you know, that's saying, man, I don't know if I can do 30 strict handstand pushups or, or it's going to take me longer than this person, or I don't know if I can do this, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, having that doubt creep, creep in the negative voices, um, I think obviously is a killer for, for mindset excellence. This is the Limitless Athlete Podcast. I'm Tom Foxley, founder of Mindset Rx and your host. And I believe that to rid ourselves of doubt, we must face our most uncomfortable truths. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm willing to work as hard as I can. There is no past, there's no future, there's just this moment right here. If I did that, if I can get through that, like, come at me. Changing how I saw myself, like, as a man, not just as, as an athlete. It's okay that I struggle. It's okay, that's part of the deal. It's how I respond to it. Two and a half thousand years ago, Socrates brought the Greek aphorism, know thyself, into the forefront of philosophy. His point was that before you can claim to know anything, you must know yourself. Human wisdom, he said, begins with the recognition of one's own ignorance. You and I, as athletes and as humans, are ignorant. We see the world through our narrow perceptual bubble. Our beliefs filter out information which could help us in pursuit of our goals. Our confirmation bias dismisses anything that's too uncomfortable to digest. Our own personal experience fashions a lens which distorts the color of the world. What does this mean for us as athletes? We turn away from the information which is the exact data which would highlight a path of growth, the thing that we say we want. We hide from the uncomfortable truth of weaknesses. We avoid situations, conversations and tests which may bring our limitations to light. All of this results in what Justin Kotler calls the worst thing an athlete can have. Doubt. Am I fast enough? Am I strong enough? Will I miss this rep? What if I get sick again? More to the point, am I good enough? Do I deserve to be here? Will people still like me? Will I be happy? Doubt is the antithesis to what athletes truly require. Confidence. In this conversation, Justin Kotler and I discuss the path athletes, coaches and humans alike can take to becoming more confident and ridding ourselves of doubt. We also discuss the role of ego in sports, the testing of your mindset, why not being talented may be your greatest advantage 
generating self-knowledge and creating turning points in your life. So make sure you subscribe to the Limitless Athlete Podcast and follow MindsetRx on Instagram so you don't miss upcoming episodes, which will help you create the mindset to take you to your potential. Now, without further ado, here is head coach of Underdogs Athletics, Justin Kotler. Justin, welcome to the show and thank you for joining me. It's a real pleasure uh, to speak to you. Thanks, Tom. Pleasure to be here. I'd like to start with your background and a little bit about you so we can find out a bit more about like how you became the person you are today, the coach you are today and the human you are today. Um, it's been a while since I wrote these notes because of my tardiness last time, um, <laughs> shamefully admitting to the world that I, I was a no-show. Um, so the notes I've got here, uh, talk me through your injury. Um, you had a pretty significant injury when you were younger, right? I did. Yeah. I was 15 years old. Um, I was, uh, it's crazy. Cause I, this was like those flashes in your brain, you know, that you still remember. Um, cause I mean, <laughs> 15 years old now is a long time ago. Um, but I remember, uh, we were at basketball practice, uh, at, at high school. Um, and you know how, kids when they're, you know, at that age, especially basketball players, they're just messing around and, you know, jumping, hanging on the rim, you know, jumping up, dunking, doing things like that. Um, and, uh, my buddies and I, um, was just kind of like warming up. And, and I remember, um, I, I just went up to literally to jump, to hang on the, on the rim. And when I jumped off my left leg, um, my, my whole life changed actually. So now, now I really think about it, like the progression of it. Um, but yeah, my, uh, I had a condition called, um, Osgood slaughter, which is very common, uh, growth disease. I mean, it, it, and it causes something called runner's knee essentially, which is where you get kind of pain and tendonitis right where the patella tendon meets the tibial tuberosity, um, which is, yeah. which is right there. Yeah. 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 Um, and in, and in most cases, you know, it causes like a little bump and it causes discomfort. But in my case, it weakened that area so much that when I took off the jump and my quad flexed and the, and the kneecap comes up and the patella tendon stretches and it just yanked the growth plate right off the tibia and it goes in and essentially just cuts everything up in my knee. Um, and you know, so my, essentially the lower half of my leg was almost disconnected from the upper half of my leg. And so they had to go in and essentially reconstruct the knee. I still have hardware in there from that injury. I had to learn how to walk again, six months of rehab, uh, you know, five hours a day, five days a week, um, at 15 years old, which was interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, at the time I was, uh, I was a, pretty heavily recruited basketball player. Um, and I, I did go on to, to, uh, have a very successful high school career. And then I played a year in college and, and then, um, I eventually actually, um, switched to my other sport that I was, I was pretty good at, which was golf. So I played, uh, basketball and golf in college, but, um, it was never quite the same. Um, the, the knee was, was always, um, it was just always something I had to deal with. Uh, you know, I mean, even now, like I've been bone on bone in that mean now since I was 28 years old, which is almost for 20 years. Um, 
you know, it, it has greatly affected my life and, and, uh, a lot of the things that I want to be able to do, um, you know, now at, at this, at this point, because, because it's bone on bone, you know, um, a lot of the high impact stuff that I used to do, um, you know, now essentially it's still functional, but there are a lot of things I can't do anymore. Um, which eventually, you know, as I get older, um, I'm okay with, like I've come to terms with it. Uh, but as someone who was, you know, and is incredibly competitive and, and who was an athlete their entire lives, it's hard to not be able to do something because of, uh, an injury or because you're in pain. Um, so that's been a challenge. Um, and, uh, yeah, but you know, it's, it's like anything. I mean, you, you learn how to live with it and, and, you know, you learn how to make the best of it. And, you know, I can still, I can still do a lot of things. I mean, I'm still pretty fit. I still train a lot. There's just, you know, the, com- the competing days are over, um, yeah. you know, running a marathon is over. Yeah. Thankfully running a marathon is over. Yeah. Um, I can 15... still roll a marathon. So that's oh yeah. Yeah. Great news. Um, so 15 years old, that is a time. Well, I suppose it's, um, there's a small blessing in the curse of doing that because you're, you're more likely to heal a bit more quickly and all that kind of stuff. But the, like the fact you're on one path to essentially looking towards professional sports, I'm guessing, or very high level sport. And then you have to shift your identity and like, this is who I am. What was that process like? Honestly, it was pretty hard at the beginning. Uh, I can remember, I mean, now listen, this is, you know, uh, we're talking 30 years ago. Um, but I can remember, you know, many like crying nights, you know, and, and wondering why, and, you know, I missed that season, um, which was my sophomore, my 10th grade season here, here in the States, my sophomore year. Um, and, uh, you know, again, it, it was, it was hard, but I think at that point after it was over, um, there was a realization, um, that, you know, listen, I was on a track to, to probably pay, play like major division one college basketball, um, you know, and, and there was a shift and then, you know, I started looking at, at smaller schools and smaller schools ended up being higher academic schools. So I, you know, I ended up going to uh, an Ivy league school and playing sports, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, but, but ultimately I, I think, I think it was a, a lesson um, of, in perseverance and, and at a very young age where I had to, uh, you know, persevere through this traumatic event and it did make me a lot tougher because I have not lived a day since I was 15 years old without pain. Mm. So every step that I take, you know, every time I do anything athletic, any time that I've done anything since I was 15, I've had pain in my knee. It's just the way it is. So at this point, like I've just learned to live with it and I don't know what it would be like without it, um, which is interesting to to think about because it's a bit of a mind fuck. But, but at the same time, I'm, I'm just used to it. So, you know, uh, some days are better than others and, you know, uh, and I'm pretty smart now where I used to be extremely stubborn and I would just, you know, it, it was essentially like, I would just do something and be like, mm-hmm. screw it. And then of course I'd be, you know, I'd be with ice on the knee for about five days, <laughs> but, uh, how, but what's much better, you know, I mean, did, it, it's, it's okay now though. How long did it take before we could look back and go, actually, you know, there were some positives in it. I honestly, um, 
it took a long time for me to look back and say there were some positives in it because I, I would just, it, I would think about the pain and the limitation, um, you know, and what it caused. Uh, but I think honestly, like when I look at where I'm at now and I look at what I'm doing now and I look at, uh, the experience that I've had dealing with that, I mean, it, it prepared me unbelievably for, for this role in my life, right? Like after college, I, I don't know if you know, I mean, I was a full-time musician. I was a full-time recording artist for about 10 years. I was always heavily into sports and athletics, but, you know, fitness became my life right around 2009. So, you know, about 13 years ago, uh, 2008, 2009, where I transitioned from music into uh, fitness full-time. Um, but, you know, th there's, there's been uh, a, an incredible, um, I think it's been an amazing journey in the sense that I've been able to impart a lot of knowledge about uh, perseverance, about re recovering from injuries, which most, you know, high level athletes have to deal with it at, at, at some point. Um, I'm kind of a knee guru because of it. <laughs> you know, there's just a lot of things that, that I had to overcome. Um, and I think it, it, I think it made me extremely mentally tough, uh, as well, which, which I think is a, is, is a positive obviously in, in this, you know, in this field and, and in this sport, obviously. Um, so I would say that, that probably not until I started my coaching career, you know, which is, which is probably about 13 years ago or so that, that it, it, it was one of those things where I was like, Hmm, this is probably like a notch in my belt. Like this is mm. probably something that's, that's beneficial. Um, you know, but yeah, it took a long time to get there. Yeah, I bet it takes like time is the greatest healer, right? So it gives us that yeah. time to look back. Um, you obviously work with a ton of athletes and have worked with a ton of athletes. Um, one of those being Bethany Shadburn, who's like mm -hmm. literally just had, I suppose it's an ongoing injury. We just interviewed her on the podcast. So we're able to kind of speak to her like about that as it was beginning to flare up. Um, yeah. But that's such a tough call, especially after last year as well. And so and what happened? So like, how do you use that? How do you use that reference point in order to connect and help your athletes? You know, I, I think that there is a level of understanding, like, you know, that I have from experiencing that um, and a level of respect. Like I've seen Bethany try to battle through mm. you know what she's dealing with and we were very successful last year uh in in kind of creating a program and a plan for her uh and this year after she caught covid uh you know it's kind of just been one thing after another that kind of led up to the back and we just mm. haven't been able to get ahead of it and you know, Bethany and I met the other day and I know, you know, this has really been tough for her mentally. It's just hard, especially two years in a row. I mean, I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that last year she was in the best physical shape she's ever been in. Um, you know, she was, she was scary good going into the games last year and it was really a shame, um, you know, for her and, and Carrie both, you know, uh, with COVID. Uh, but, but this year it's, it's really been, it's really been challenging, um, you know, and so there's some things that we're doing, you know, with her, obviously we're, we're looking, we're going to get some imaging and make sure structurally that it hasn't changed over the last two years. But, but, but in general, I think, 
you know, for her, the, the hardest thing is just is, is keeping that uh, momentum or, or keeping that fire within her when you've got to deal with, with an injury for so long, you know, and um, one of the great things about Bethany is I, I think, you know, she's pretty amazing at just kind of, at, uh, of kind of accepting like she's, she's just has this amazing job of accepting, like, Which is okay, this is my, do. no, it's not. And, and, you know, it's kind of like, she, she's just, you know, she's like, this is my burden. Like, I feel like I'm not done yet. You know, I'm going to do what I have to do now to get back. And, and she knows like, I'll, you know, that I'm here for her and I'll do whatever she needs to be able to help her get there. If that means now giving her space to, you know, I know she's doing a lot of, she's doing a lot outside the gym. She's hiking. She's, you know, doing a lot of, you know, kind of being one with herself and things like that, which is what she needs right now. I know she's, you know, coming to the gym and you see everybody training for semifinals. That's hard. You know, you just, you immediately like have FOMO and you just want to do things and it puts you in a bad mood. Um, you know, so she's doing the best that she can do. Uh, and I, and I think honestly, she's handling it very well. We had a very candid conversation the other day and a lot, a lot of tears and, and, I, but I was very impressed with where she's at. And I, and I don't think it's the last you've heard from her for sure. No, something tells me that it's definitely not the last. Yeah. What are the important things to tell an athlete or for an athlete to remember who's going through injury? I mean, I don't think there's any, and this is the hardest thing is patience. I mean, it's so hard for, for athletes to have patience. Uh, and, it, and it's so hard to, there's two things there, right? Patience and then listening to your body. Um, you know, a lot of times, like I can remember, you know, when I was going through physical rehab and, um, you know, talk about working through an injury, right. And it's like the pain scale. So like, if it's over a three, you know, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Right. But if it's up to a three, you know, you're getting blood in the area, it's probably helping, et cetera. Well, that's hard to tell these athletes, man, because you know, what, what might be somebody's pain scale at, you know, six is, is probably their pain scale at two or three. So it's really hard to know whether or not they're setting themselves back. Um, you know, and, and we've seen people come back too fast and we've seen them, you know, take, I see it, I see it all the time where, you know, you, you've got a minor injury that turns into a major injury because didn't give it the rest and the time that it needed. So, uh, you know, just trying to reinforce like, Hey, this, this happens, this happens to everybody, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And ultimately it's a matter of doing all the right things inside and outside the gym, um, listening to, you know, your physio, listening to your body, uh, making sure you're getting enough sleep and the right nutrition, et cetera, which is really hard. And it's, it's tough, especially when you have an injury because you want to get back fast. And it's almost like, you know, you, you, most people, especially athletes just tend to overdo things. Um, so, so really it's just try to be understanding, but also kind of, you know, impart the knowledge that I've had, because I had a setback. When, when I was a kid, you know, I, I can remember it. Like, um, I was doing stuff I shouldn't have done. And, and one day, you know, I, I had a setback where, um, I was, uh, way too fast back in the playing basketball again. And, and I slipped and, you know, kind of the knee went the wrong way and it set me back a couple of months. Um, so, you know, I think it's easy to, it's easy to do that if, if you're, if you're not patient and, and kind of give it the care and the time that it needs. And, and that's, you know, we do the best we can as coaches to try to try to help, you know, but it, it's hard, you know, it's hard. It's definitely hard.
Yeah, I can remember a similar thing myself. When I was a kid, I was um, temporarily di- diagnosed with the least positive sounding diagnosis ever, which is sudden death syndrome, um, which is, yeah, I know, terrifying. Terrifying for your parents to be told that as well. But I, it was, essentially, I was getting anxiety-induced palpitations, and they're like, you need to stop exercising because you may drop dead, which was a, probably a good thing to to stop Gosh. a child from dying, um, but quite yeah. an intense way to say. But like, until then, I was like the active kid. And it was like, oh, I, my whole personality was built around um, football, soccer, um, cricket, yeah. like very English sports, um, cricket, soccer, um, these kind of things. And um, I was not allowed to train for like six months. And then I was just like watching kids kick a ball around the park. And I was like, right, I've got to get involved. And I had palpitations again. But it's like that that terrifying thing of like, this has happened again but it's also like the ego is so wrapped up in like this is who i am and that's as a child like as what 13 14 year old child i was then but like when your income and your success and your career and therefore more of your identity is based around this is who i am as an athlete and then it's like actually you're not allowed to do semis or you're not allowed to compete in this competition um that must be even harder Oh, I don't think there's any question. And, and, you know, I mean, I've had conversations with athletes before where they've been injured or weren't able to do something. And the first things out of their mouth were, am I going to lose my sponsors? You know, am I going to lose my financial support? Am I going to lose this? Am I gonna lose? And it, it's just, but you can see why people come back too soon and you can see why, you know what I mean? Because there's that financial pressure, um, you know, and it's tough, man, because CrossFit's one of those sports where, you know, we're so, I mean, honestly, if we're, you know, if we're talking about, it, we're still in the incipient stages, we're still the beginning stages, you know, and, and it, the money is not where it will be hopefully eventually. And, you know, there's, it's, it's not a lot of these athletes, they miss a season or two. And, and all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, now I have to pick up another job and I have to start coaching and I have to do this. And I, you know, um, and I hope we get to the point where, you know, obviously there, there are more financial opportunities and, and uh, there's a, a union with healthcare and all these different things, but that's a whole nother conversation. But, um, you know, that, that, that creates so much external and internal pressure, um, you know, that, that I think is uh, it's, it's really hard for that not to be an extremely negative component. And, and it's, you know um, but again, you know, you try, right. You try as a coach to, to explain like, Hey, like I understand how you feel, but if you rush it, it's just gonna, it's gonna end up taking that much longer because you're going to have a setback. So, you know, it's trying, it's just trying to keep, you know, stay the course and make sure that they're doing all the right things inside and outside the gym, you know, to be able to heal. Yeah. And think about that from like a mindset coach perspective as well. Like you're thrown into complete turmoil and complete uh, uncertainty. It's like, when we have an identity, when we have a like fixed or like stable-ish identity of like, this is who I am. It dictates what you do. It dictates how you react to things. It dictates like, it eliminates so many choices from you and gives you simple options. And then all of a sudden you're thrown into the unknown and then your identity and your beliefs begin to become a little bit unraveled and not quite so tight. And you'd like try and get some of that certainty and stability back where like, okay, if I can train, then I've got like, I understand myself a bit more. And then dealing yeah. with that is like, you've, yeah, you're dealing with the fear of losing sponsorship and you're dealing with the fear of um, like losing your income and whatever that means for the future and where you previously had this stability. And you're also dealing with the, um, the instability of who am I at the end of the day? Right. Like, who, who am I? And that's a big question to be confronted with unintentionally. Yeah, 
I, I think that's a great point it, because ultimately it's like, if you lose your identity, then, then what do you have? Right. And that's, and that's, I mean, that's brutal. Um, and I honestly, like I've, it's funny is like, I, I feel like I've kind of come to two of those crossroads in my life with, with sports and then with music, like mm. there were, there were those, there were those points where you were like, you know, with the injury. And then as I got a little bit older and realizing, Hey, like I'm, I'm really good at this, but I'm not good enough to make a living from it. And, and that was kind of the, the deal of sports, um, you know, and then with music, it was, you know, it, just 10 years, 12 years in the, in the, in the music industry and the roller coaster ride of having a record deal and not having one and having a management company and having them go bankrupt and being up here. And then the next minute being down here and then seeing some of your contemporaries get to where you expected to be. And then you not being there. And I mean, talk about a loss of identity and talk about just a, a you know, a, <laughs> and a completely like unstable existence. Um, and, and, you know, that was, that was definitely, um, you know, I remember that as being an incredibly challenging part yeah. of, of my life, but again, another one that, that got me on the road to where I am, um, you know, and, and helped me to be able to, to, to shape and, and form others who I see who have a lot of those same tendencies. Um, so having the experience to be able to, um, kind of survive um, you know, has, has definitely helped me be able to, uh, to, to give advice and, and, and help out in that, in that aspect. Yeah. Tenacity, right. It keeps you going. And yeah. it's like being able to demonstrate that to your athletes must be such a, such a gift to have. It's like, okay, this is what it's like and not displaying it through words, but through actions. It's like, they know yeah. that's what you've been through. They know what change you've been through. Hey, if you're enjoying this episode, chances are you'll enjoy our free ebook, How to Stop Substandard Self-Critical Plateaus and Unleash Your Potential. It's a step-by-step guide to finding your mojo again and getting back to the athlete you know you can be. It's free, you just have to stick your email address in and download it. To find it, head to mindsetrx.com slash ebook. That's mindsetrxd.com slash ebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Why, why fitness after, um, after singing and music? Well, I mean, so when I was a kid, it was just, it was always music and sports. Like that's, you know, I can remember, you know, as far back as I can remember having a ball in one hand and, and then getting up on the counter and, and, and singing at all family functions. Like that was, it was just, they always went hand in hand to me. I'm, I'm a rabid sports fan. Uh, and, and as a kid, you know, I, I, I essentially, you know, went from one practice to the next practice to the next practice. Like it was, it was just constant sport in my life and, and, and really in my family's life, we're an incredibly like athletic family, but, but also a family that just loves sports. Um, but the, you know, what's interesting though. And, and, and so throughout my entire, um, music career, I, I was always training you know, like, it, but, but I think at that point it was a lot more for aesthetics, right. Mm-hmm. Than it was for fun- functionality. Um, and that's just entertainment in general, right. The entertainment industry, especially like being an R and B singer, you know, you want, you want to look good when you take your shirt off. So <laughs> that was, you know, that was the, that was the main thing then, but you know, 
when I, uh, as I got older and when I got towards the end of, of my music career, um, and I kind of dove into fitness and I have a, I have a, I have a very, um, uh, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I'm, I'm, man, I can't think of it. No, uh, I obsessive. There we go. That's mm. the word I'm looking for. Um, an incredibly obsessive personality. So when I get into it's like, I have a story, like when I was a kid and I saw people juggling, I had to learn how to juggle at seven years old. Like I went, I picked up a couple balls. I learned how to juggle in about an hour and then I never juggled again. It was just like one of those things where I had to do things like I had to. Right. So, so eventually like, especially coming out of, um, fitness or, uh, coming out of music, um, there was a period of my life that I, I got, I had gotten very sick. Um, I have ulcerative colitis, um, which, uh, if you know anything about ulcerative colitis, it's an irritable bowel disease, similar to Crohn's disease. And it, when it flares up, you can lose massive amounts of weight in a very short period of time. So I lost 50 pounds in three weeks when I was, uh, in 2007, I was in the hospital for a little while. Um, when I came out of it and my buddy who was an actor in New York, cause this was all back in New York. Um, and he was in the entertainment industry and he was like, you know, listen, let's, let's train, let's get your body back, blah, blah, blah. And we kind of dove into functional fitness. We dove into, um, there was a, a website at the time, uh, Jim Jones, which is what like all the guys from 300 did, you know, was, and it was for like Mark Twight was a, was an early CrossFit guy uh, with Glassman before he got excommunicated and then started Jim Jones so we were doing Jim Jones, we were doing dot com, you know, back in, you know, 2008. Um, and it was kind of like the stuff that, that was being whispered in the gyms, like, you know, because the Globo gyms were still, you know, kind of taken over and, and you were still dealing with people who thought the world was flat when they saw you doing CrossFit. They, they didn't know what the hell you were doing. Uh, and he and I started training together and, and we just got, you know, kind of obsessive, you know, and, it, and we became addicted to, 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 uh, to functional fitness, you know? Um, and it, it became like my new stage. It became, you know, where I went from, from, uh, music to being able to where, you know, in music, you can help people and you can take people away and you can change people's lives with the stuff that you're writing. Um, but in fitness, you could do the same thing. You know, and we started coaching a class and then I started coaching athletes and, and I was able to see that like, you know, where I was able to help people and where I was able to affect people with my music, I can now affect people through fitness and I was able to help them and change their lives. And that, when I opened up my gym, that was our motto, change your fitness, change your life. And, and, you know, so this became like, like I said, it kind of became my new stage. It became my new opportunity to be able to help people and, and my new opportunity to be able to change people's lives. Um, and that kind of stemmed all the way from, you know, like your everyday soccer mom that would walk in and, and, and take class to, uh, you know, eventually carry Pierce, right? Like <laughs> it's just, um, so that, that's, that, that's kind of how it happened. You know, it's just, uh, it, it, it became like my new obsession, but this was a much more healthy one for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I was think when thinking about this, I was thinking about like, okay, what's the commonality? What's the, the driver, the psychological driver, that's the overlap between singing and music and fitness and that ability to affect people emotionally and to affect their, um, their sense of who they are. Probably that's, that's what it is. It's that human connection, right? 
Yeah, uh, without question. And I, and it it's cool because I felt it very early um, with fitness. Uh, like you know, seeing seeing like the joy and seeing the effect that you could have, you know, on people being able to reach their potential or, or reach a goal, right? Like there is just something that's inherently beautiful about that. Um, and you know, when, when, when we, when I went out on my own and opened up my own gym in, uh, in 2010, um, it was, my wife was, was part of that. And well, at the time we weren't married, but, uh, we were dating. So, um, but you know, there was a few of us that just kind of took a chance and we started in this really small space. And, you know, a lot of it was just small group training and personal training at the time. And, and we started to develop this reputation and it really blew up very quickly in, in our town and in Astoria, New York. And, you know, before too long, we were in a much bigger space and, you know, um, affiliated with CrossFit, et cetera. But there was, you know, and, and at the time it was one of those things where we were coaching all the classes, we were coaching, you know, all the foundations classes and, you know, you were running yourself ragged. Um, but it was worth every second of it because you saw what it was, what it was doing. You know, you saw the effect you were having on people and it was this, it was this high, you know, it was, and it felt very similar to music in a lot of ways, honestly. Um, and I think my performance background and my wife's performance background too, she was, uh, uh, she, she has a degree in musical theater and, and she toured, you know, New York and, and various other places, phenomenal singer. And, you know, um, I think both of our performance background helped a lot with being able to reach people and being able to read a crowd and being able to know what people want. And, and, and you know, I think it's helped me a lot in, in, in coaching because I feel very comfortable in that setting, um, mm. in front of people and, and, you know, uh, and so, you know, I, I, it's crazy. Cause I always said I was put on earth to sing like that was, you know, I always felt that in my bones. Um, you know, but I, but I think that as much as I was put on earth to sing, I'm, I was put on earth to do what I'm doing now, you know? Uh, and I, and I feel like, you know, I've been able to, uh, to affect uh, a lot of people in a very positive way. And, 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 you know, I'm very proud of that. It's, it's pretty cool. It's a cool life, you know? Um, it's a labor of love, that's for sure. So before um, before we were meant to interview last time or podcast together last time, I put out a little Instagram kind of question, what should I ask you? And a little rumor came up. And before we leave the music side of things, I just want to double check whether this is true and see what, or see whether there's any truth in it. Did you perform for Aretha Franklin at some point? Okay, so we... So no, here's what happened. Uh, I opened for Diana Ross. I opened for Joe Cocker. Um, so the Aretha Franklin thing might have been, we did, uh, we did a show down in Palm Beach. It was actually for um, Robert Kraft, uh, the owner of the New England Patriots. And it was like on yeah. there big, but it was an Aretha Franklin um like tribute thing. Um, but it, it was Jennifer Hudson who actually performed with us and did all the Aretha Franklin songs. So it, it wasn't, it wasn't mm -hmm. with Aretha, you know, but it was, she just did a whole set of Aretha songs. It was kind of like, you know, Jennifer Hudson does Aretha. Yeah. And this was just yeah. after dream girls when she 
when she like blew up and won an Oscar, et cetera. Um, but Aretha wasn't there, but yeah. Donald Trump was there. So, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. not quite the same uh, vibe, not quite, but yeah. not quite the same vibe. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there was, it's interesting. There was a lot of really cool events. Like, so after my kind of like original, you know, music career was over, um, essentially for it's crazy. It's kind of, I kind of did music and fitness for, they overlapped for a little while. So from like 2009 to 2014, um, I was, I was like a hired gun. I was, uh, I was essentially singing in these unbelievable event bands that, that, you know, just, you, you know, like you go to a big, big event and you see a 12 piece band with a full horn section and four singers. And you're like, holy shit, this band's unbelievable. Those were the type of bands. So we did, we did the, the, the Red Cross Gala Ball for the Prince of Monaco. David wow. Beckham was at that one. You know, we, it, that's where we opened for Joe Cocker. We, we did uh, the CEO of Reebok's 50th anniversary party on his estate in Cape Cod. And that was, you know, we opened for Diana Ross. We did that stuff at, at, at Mar-a-Lago down in uh, Palm Beach, you know, for Kraft and Trump. And we did all these incredible parties. Um, and I got to work with some unbelievable singers and amazing musicians. And it was, it was extremely fulfilling. Um, you know, but then eventually like, you know, I just started coaching so much. And, and then eventually when I started coaching in the, in the grid league, the national pro grid league here in, in, uh, in the States, I just got too busy and, and something had to give. So, but it was cool. It was fun. Mm-hmm. So you've spent so much time in such a, I'd say diverse, but with commonalities, two different areas. What you must have learned a lot about mindset and that, and the mental approaches we take when we're trying to be our best. What does mindset excellence not look like? Ah, uh, what does it not look like? Yeah. Hmm. Well, and I, I think I have a lot of experience in this because you know I did. Uh, I played competitive golf, which is one of those sports that, yeah. uh, you know, and, and I, I actually, for a period of time, I, when I was a kid, you know, I, I did see a sports psychologist for a while to try to help me with, with my routine and, and negative thoughts and, and all those things. Um, you know, I think that the, the way that I, that, that we talk to our athletes and, and one of the most important things is, is, is is ultimately like the, the worst thing you can have is doubt, right? Like going into a competition, going into a workout is, is essentially questioning yourself, um, whether it's a movement, whether it's your strategy, whether it's your preparation, whether it's your warm up, whatever it is, right? Um, and, and it's a big problem and you see it all the time, right? Like, it, it, and the, and the athletes that are the best are, are, are I think the athletes, listen, we're, I think it's very natural. I think it's a, an extremely common human emotion, right. To, to, to essentially have doubt and fear. Um, and, and how do you overcome that? You know, and, and a, a lot of that is practice, right. Is, is essentially like, you know, we, we get into, we get into our, um, daily training day and we talk a lot about intention and we talk a lot about um you know practicing and, and really knowing yourself as an athlete so that you kind of take a lot of the question marks out of the workout out of your movements out of your pacing out of your rep schemes etc um you know and and that's the thing i think we try to fight the most is is doubt and fear um 
And, and it could, because if you have an athlete thinking that can go into a competition, the workouts come out and there's no, there's no doubt there. There's no fear. There's just essentially like, okay, this is the workout. This is how I'm going to attack it. And, you know, I'm in, I'm in my zone. I'm in my bubble. I'm not worrying about what anyone else is doing and I'm maximizing my potential and point value on every single workout. Um, you know, that's, that's a big thing. And that's really what we preach. Um, but I think trying to, to get that voice out of your head, you know, that's saying, man, I don't know if I can do 30 strict handstand pushups or, or it's going to take me longer than this person, or I don't know if I can do this, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, having that doubt creep, creep in the negative voices, um, I think obviously is a killer for, for mindset excellence. Yeah, the one hundred percent. It's that uncertainty piece again from the like what like what is my identity? Who am I? Um, that made into a kind of small version is like, can I do this? Like, is it possible for me? Am I good enough at the end of the day to do this? What techniques do you have to overcome doubt and fear? So, a couple of things that that we work on hard, like I said, is is essentially like every single piece we do in the gym. Um, we talk to the athletes about uh, creating an intention and intention and creating a goal. Um, so even if it's if it's a quote unquote um, you know weakness movement, I don't like to even use that word. But if it's a movement that ultimately they know, you know, listen, like if if this comes up, this is something I have to manage. It's it's not say a strength, right? Um, but it's knowing yourself as an athlete the best that you can possibly you know, know yourself. So essentially getting as much data and information from each piece that we can so that then we can talk about how to attack things so that you take all the doubt out of it. Right. So that essentially it almost comes down to a science where it's like, okay, there's, you've got this many seconds doing this, you're resting this many seconds, you've got this many seconds doing this. And no matter what anybody else is doing, this is, this is how we're attacking it. This is how we're doing it. And when you practice like that, uh, you, you get to know yourself so well as an athlete that that it, nothing anymore is a question. Like it, it now, it now just is right. Um, so that's that's one of the biggest ways that we that we you know kind of fight doubt and and uncertainty, as you said. Um, and and if you do it in practice and you become good at doing it in practice, then doing it in a competition becomes routine. And I think you've seen that with some of the best athletes in CrossFit, you know, um, I mean, he's not one of my athletes, but I look at someone like Brent Fikowski, who's had over, how to overcome a lot of, mm-hmm. um, you know, th- there's a, there's a lot of, of, of difficulties and, 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 you know, movement difficulties simply because of his size and his lever length. Um, and, and he essentially has, has kind of broken down the sport almost to a science. I guess why they call him a professor. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but it, it looks so methodical, everything that he does, you know, and you're like, oh, he's not moving very fast, but then at the end of a workout, right. He's top three or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, and it's because he knows himself so well and he understands where he excels and he understands his limitations and he's able to construct a plan to be able to then have success. And I think as a coach, right? Like there are very few athletes that you can just say, go, mm-hmm. right. And, and there are a couple, 
right? I mean, you know, probably the, the number one athlete in the sport right now, Tia Claire Toomey, is just one of those athletes that doesn't have a weakness. And, you know, you could give her a workout and tell her to go and she could probably win it yeah. even without devising a plan. But there are very few people like that. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, it's, 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 under, it's, it's understanding yourself as an athlete as well as you can, uh, practicing that every day in the gym, and then ultimately being able to replicate that on the competition floor. Yeah, it's interesting you brought up Brent then because um, we coached him with mindset for was it eighteen months, two years or so. And the one thing mm-hmm. that I definitely didn't have to teach him was okay, let's st- step back, be objective about this, and like take the emotions out. He's, he was phenomenal and still is phenomenal. Like, okay, yeah. this is the situation. Even when shit happens, it's like this is the situation. I'm going to go with it, and it's um, definitely something to to work on for all athletes. I suppose the reason that we don't look squarely at the in the face of things is often because it's scary it's like what could this be what i could actually be even less good at this than i think i am right now or this doubt is telling me so if i don't look at it then i don't have anything to work with and it's interesting that you brought up like the kind of okay we're going to get go out there and collect data we're going to test yourself we're going to know yourself and when we're doing mindset as well, that's where we start. It's like, okay, what are the thoughts, the emotions, physical sensations, behaviors? Like we're coming at it from a kind of a less um, a tactical point of view, but it's the psychological and it's the same place. It's like, first you have to test, then you figure out where you want to go and then you figure out the path mm-hmm. to get there. Um, it's the same process of growth there. Test and assess, test and assess. And and that's a huge part of what we do. And, there, and, and I've, you know, I would say kind of, you know, our Brent, right? Like in, in our camp or, or someone that I've coached who's been the best at that has, has been Carrie, you know, mm-hmm. Carrie is, is one of those athletes that, um, you know, she was able to overcome her physical shortcomings, um, by understanding herself as an athlete better than 99.9% of athletes out there. Um, you know, she wasn't the most talented. Now, obviously, she had some special gifts from her from her gymnastics days. But I mean, there were a lot of things um, that you would, you know, if you looked at that specific movement, you'd say, "Oh, that's not a strength of carries." Oh, oh, that's not very good for her. Oh, that's not great. She's not super strong. She's not a great runner. She's not good at rowing. She's not good. You know, she's not a great mm-hmm. swimmer. She's not good at that. Oh, but she just finished, you know, third in the world. You know, so it's one of those things that. You know, she was able to maximize her potential every single workout, every single competition. And, you know, and and that had a lot to do with not just her physical output, but her mental fortitude, right? And and Carrie is one of those athletes I always said, she never got too high and she never got too low. It was just a situation where the workout came, she, you know, oh, she just won the workout. Great. On to the next workout. Oh, she just came in 19th on the workout. Fine. Next workout. Next one. And th- that was just the way that she was. And it was, it was amazing. I would say it's, you know, it's uh, as a coach, she was a coach's dream, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't know if you'll ever get another carry. And, um, and, and she was, uh, and she is, I mean, you know, she's obviously like part of our family now it's beyond just a friendship, but, um, you know, that, that's what, she, that was her superpower, you know, was, was being able to maximize her potential on every single workout uh, and understand herself as an athlete and, and, you know, really know down to the second, you know, how long she needed to rest, how long it was going to take to do this, et cetera. I mean, it was just, uh, you know, it was amazing and it, and it made it, 
it was amazing as a coach to watch, you know, um, she made me look good a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of things about Carrie. We spoke to Carrie Ash on the podcast last Friday, and she was talking about like, you know, what, in the grand scheme of things, this is nothing. And that was really cool to hear her like talk about competing in that way and bad breaks and the way that will happen and just like, okay, in the grand scheme of things this way. But like she also said, um, it must have been a recurring theme in conversations or something that is particularly evident because she was talking about something you said to her, which was, look, you're not the most talented, but you'll outwork everyone. And mm -hmm. for people who believe in that kind of the talent myth or innate talent, um, and they have that fixed mindset of like, oh, you're either talented or you're not, that could be the most insulting thing ever. But what it actually says is, Hey, you can grow. You can become anyone you want to be. You can become a better version of yourself if you continue to work enough, um, work hard enough. And I, I think eventually Carrie kind of wore that as a badge, you yeah. know, which was essentially like, hey, that's what she was like. Know, yeah, I, I know I'm, I'm not the most talented, right? Like, mm -hmm. I, I, there are limitations, you know. One because of my stature, two because of my background, you know. Like, um, I have to work my ass off at certain things. I don't have, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily. She wasn't necessarily, um, you know, gifted at at you know certain elements, you know, and certain movements. But first of all, no one outworked her, and I would always tell her, and and it wasn't just me saying it to say it; it was saying it because it was the truth. We would go into a workout, and I would look at Carrie, and I would just say to her, "Just be tougher than everyone else." Like, and it wasn't it wasn't like, "Oh, you say that to someone." No, it was. He, I know she can be, and I know she will be. It was just a reminder that all you have to do if you go out there is be tougher than everybody else. And if you're tougher than everybody else, you're going to have a great result. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what the workout is, right? And so you look at something like an Atalanta or you look at a Murph or you look at, you know, those type of workouts where you would see some people who just, you know, they just give up. You know, they don't want to go to that place, you know, and, and that was where Carrie would thrive. She would thrive in that place. Like it was like, the more pain, the better. Just give it to me. Like I would rather be harder. I would rather be worse. I would rather be brutal because I know I'm going to be able to withstand that physically and mentally. And I know other people are going to break down and I can, and, and I want it. Like I crave that. And that was, you know, that's a gift. There's not a lot of people who, who have that, you know, and they may be the most talented in the world, but if they don't have that, they're not going to be super successful in the sport. What I love about that is that the data points are exactly the same. Carrie's stature doesn't change. Carrie's like natural her genome and the way that that expresses itself does not change. Like who she is does not change. It's exactly the same data points, but the lens on it is different, and that lens turns her weakness into a strength. And it's that's that's yeah. the the ability of the grit out mindset. That's the ability of the mentally tough, um, resilient, strong mindset. It's like okay. For me, uh, for everyone else, this is getting impossibly difficult. And this is where I come into my own. This is where my superpower kicks in as, as it gets harder, not as it becomes easier, as it gets harder. Right. Right. And I, and that's, you know, and you just can't help but, but love somebody <laughs> who can do that. Like, mm -hmm. like, you know, and aside from the fact she's just like this amazing person, but, you know, I, you know, when we first started working together and I would see her do things and I would give her where I specifically remember a workout that I gave her that essentially was 
And it's, I, you know, I, I almost feel bad saying this as a coach, but I gave her a workout that I expected to physically break her, like physically and mentally break her. It was all of her weakness movements in, in one, essentially. Was it um, and sled it, push, dumbbell step overs? She told some, you about that She workout. told me about it, yeah. And she told me about the, the mid-workout tears as well. Yeah, she cried in the middle of the workout. Um, you know, but but she finished it because uh, mm-hmm. she she always does, and she, you know she never tapped out of a workout. But she finished it, and when it was over, I can specifically remember saying to her, "You will never do anything ever again in the sport that's as hard as what you just did." Mm-hmm. And you were able to persevere, and you were able to finish it, and it didn't last forever. Mm-hmm. And now look, you're able to recover and you're going to be fine. And we have another training day tomorrow and there's no issue. And I think that, you know, I hope to think that that kind of stuck in her head as like, you know, I'm, th- this was as hard a workout as I could possibly do it was every movement that I despise. And I was able to get through it. And that, yes, I had my moment, but I was able to persevere and get through it. And honestly, I never saw. I never saw that from her ever again. Like it was just, no matter what the workout was, there was never like, oh my God, that's going to suck. Like, oh geez, you know, no, it was just like workout strategy, go. And, you know, so it it worked, but I'll tell you what, I can't do that with everybody. You know, you have to know, you can't treat everybody the same and you have to understand your athletes and, and like, there are some athletes that if I tried to do that with, they're just, they're just not quite there. You know, like it might be a little mentally fragile and it would go the other way and it would, it would be like, oh my God, I can't do this. I can't do this. I suck, blah, blah, blah. So you've got to really understand your athlete. Like you can't treat everybody the same. And I think as a coach, you know, you have to understand that you're going to, you're going to come across, you know, very different athletes, uh, some with, you know, very different physical gifts, but also very different mental gifts. And if you're not able to read that situation, then you're setting people up for failure. Mm. It's like, can we, it's really important to, to focus on this on the one size fits one scenario, like mindset training, everything is a one size fits one Like there's, there's principles we follow, but it's always like, can you adapt it to, or adapt the nuance to the, to the individual and like, whether like from back when I was prescribing weightlifting percentages, like, yeah, like there's people respond differently to that. And now looking at people's journaling entries and talking through visualization and everything that we do now, like it's the same thing, like the principles are the same. Um, but can we, can we create some nuance there? Can we fine tune this for you as an individual? And also then the athlete feels Hey, this is for me. This is special for right. me. It's not some cookie cutter template and usually get better adherence to that too. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I agree with that. Yeah. There's, um, you're talking about that, that grit and that tough and the doing the hard workouts purely to give yourself a reference point of like, this is how hard I can push. There's something I've been playing around with in the back of my mind for years now. And it comes from again, military times where I just like, you're given that, well, five days sleep deprivation crawling through crap carrying heavy loads and like i'd love to do if we'd have to take some of the, the weight out of it some of the the danger out of it but a reference point for elite athletes is like hey this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done but the games is never going to touch this or a single workout is never going to touch this and i think that's got utility and and legs within the crossfit world 
I think it does, you know, and, and obviously, yeah, like you said, I mean, it, it there's a fine line be- mm-hmm. between like responsible and irresponsible, yeah. like making yeah. sure that it's not. Yeah. Um, now I look back at that workout and, and listen, it, it wasn't that the thing about that workout is, is that it wasn't unfair in the sense that like all the movements were, were movements that we, we could possibly see. Uh, it was just all the movements that, that, you know, Carrie didn't like or wasn't good at. Um, but you know, you take a different athlete and they would love that, right? Because it was mm-hmm. essentially like all strongman stuff or people that mostly tall athletes are good at. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that there's there's value in that. And and um, but there's also you you have to understand um, you know, you have to understand the athlete and you have to understand like where where the limitations are. Um, and, and make sure that whatever you're devising, um, it, it works in a positive manner and, and, and not in a negative one, because I think depending on where an athlete is in their career and depending on who they are, right. Like, you know, you don't want to set them up for failure. Um, and I think if there are some, there are some times where, um, you you can give somebody a workout and it, and it goes the other way. Right. And it takes them a long time to be able to to get over that mentally, because um, I've seen that happen before as as well. You know, where like there's a workout or weakness workout or a workout where, you know, they're doing it with a group and, and you know, it's it, it, the, they have a, a really negative experience. And it's one of those things that then you have to, you know, work through. Yeah, it's usually when the estimate of their own ability is dramatically decreased right um and it's where i thought i was here but actually i'm here and the abrupt nature of being shown that is almost like too much to bear and i think that that's really like a harsh reality of our sport too you know because i think you know you can uh, it's changed a little bit i think now with the training camps in the sense that you know a lot of these athletes are getting to train together and you get to see what the best can do on a daily basis so it creates more reality for you but you know especially back in the day when there weren't a lot of training camps and people were training by themselves and then all of a sudden they would go to a regional setting or a game setting and it was like holy shit like i thought i <laughs> thought i was here and now like my whole world has been rocked because like I'm yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not where I thought I was. And, and, and you that's also a, get that's a you, harsh reality. Yeah, you also get used to get the opposite though. For, again, using Carrie's example, it's like I've never done CrossFit before into nine months later being at the games. It's like ridiculous. Yeah. Well, um, I remember so so she first walked into our our gym and I you know, I started working with her, you know, at, at the beginning of her career. But just being able to see her in that first year and walk in and then a couple months later, it was just like, oh my gosh. And then you know, training for regionals, you know, you saw she would come in and do a couple of workouts with some of the other uh, some of the other girls that I was I was coaching and she was just smoking them and I was like this is wild. Like this, you know, it's, it's crazy. And, and that's awesome. You know, that's amazing to see it, but that's, that's a rarity. We don't, yeah. we don't see that a ton. Yeah. yeah. So I asked you what a great mindset doesn't look like. What does it look like? What are the, if you had to like build the ultimate mindset, um, what components would it have? You know, I, I think that there's uh, what we talked about uncertainty Right. Um, I, I think that, you know, when I, 
when I talk to my athletes and we talk about, you know, our plan on a daily basis, um, and, and we talk about a couple of things and, and one of them is, is, is knowledge, like under understanding, understanding yourself as an athlete. Um, cause I don't care where you are as far as like on the totem pole, right? Like, but do you understand your athlete? Do you have a, a realistic understanding so that we can then put, um, a successful plan in place? So, so I, I think, you know, having the knowledge and the understanding of yourself as an athlete, um, so, you know, good knowledge is power, right. And, and, and I think really having that understanding, um, is, is, is huge, uh, as an athlete. Um, you know, I, I know that it's, I know that it's cliche, but you know, there, there really is, uh, there's something that can be said about, um, you know, finding positivity, even in, um, even in an outcome that may not be, you know, a desired outcome. And what I mean by that is like the, the, the positivity of, of looking at something and then learning from it, um, and then becoming better from it. Mm -hmm. So we talk about assessment, but I think it's looking at something, you know, if I do a workout, it doesn't go as planned. I can go one of two ways. I can immediately go the negative route where I'm like, fuck, I suck. This is terrible. And that's, you know what I mean? It, 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 it starts to weigh on me and now I'm beating myself up. Or I can say, Hey, this didn't go as I planned, but you know what? Like now I know I've got to do X, Y, and Z. And if I do that, I'm going to be able to be successful. So it's being able to take a positive out of something where it could be a negative situation. Um, and that's hard. That's really hard to do. And somebody who actually, you know, who's doing an, inc- an, an unbelievable job and, and a much better job of doing that this season is Danielle. Um, Danielle is an athlete who, when she first came to me, you know, you do, you want to talk about volatile and emotional and constant negative self-talk, um, you know, like constant comparison, you know, which is the thief of joy, right? Like all these things that she's now getting to the, now listen, she's always going to be volatile and emotional. And that's part of what makes her great. Self-knowledge. Right? Not, she, yeah. But, but we're, we're getting to that point now where we can do a workout and if it's, if it doesn't go well, she's now able to learn. And she's mm-hmm. now able to take something positive out of it to make herself a better athlete. And it's part of the maturity process. And, you know, it's part of why I think she's going to be one of the best in the world very soon. Not that she wasn't. I mean, 11th at the games is nothing to sneeze at. But when I say one of the best in the world, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, top five. And I, I she's got that type of talent. And now she's starting to get there, um, I think, you know, mentally, mentally and, and emotionally. Um, and a lot of that just comes from, you know, kind of flushing out the negative emotions, um, and then, and the negative headspace when it's very easy to be negative after something that doesn't go well and, and creating something positive from that experience. Um, you know, so those are, those are the big things that, that we, you know, talk about and, 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 and that's something that you can do really daily. 
you know, from, from most of your training sessions, um, even on a training day where, you know, you say, you know what, today, I just don't have it in the sense of like, I don't feel great. The weights don't feel great. This or that, but there are, there are still, there are still a ton of things you can learn. Um, especially at this level, um, from, from most of the training sessions that we do, uh, and, and it's being able to, you know, it's really being able to, to, to piece those out and understand it and, and flush them out. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, and I think as a coach, you're constantly learning too. You're constantly seeing what works and, you know, what cues work and, you know, what, what, uh, verbal cues and, and, you know, what you can say to one person, like I said, is not what you can say to another. And, you know, it's, it's trial and error, but again, you know, there's no substitute for experience. Um, you know, it's, this is my 13th, you know, 13 years since my first games athlete. And, and, uh, there's been a lot of wrong there yeah, of course <laughs> and, yeah it's, you know yeah to, okay. to be human yeah exactly exactly um was there a turning point with daniel was the, can you like pinpoint that moment i honestly think that that the games this past year um you know danielle was thrown into a a very difficult situation with carrie and bethany um you know testing positive for covid um, and then Danielle having to be, uh, essentially separated from, <clears throat> you know, isolated from the entire group and the community. We were, we were on our own in the barn. The two of us were like a pariah, right? Like she was tested two to three times a day. There were things that were just constantly fucking with her mentally. And you're not talking about someone who had the greatest mental fortitude, right? Like, um, you know, and I, and there were moments at the games where like, there would be a workout and I would try to talk to her and she would just be like, I don't want to hear it. I'm going out there. I'm doing my thing. And that's mm -hmm. it. I'm, I'm not in the headspace to talk about strategy or this, not. but her being able to get through that week and still be able to perform at a really high level the relationship that, that she and I were able to forge through all of that adversity. Um, I, I think it was a, a pivotal and seminal moment in her career because she was able to, to kind of see there will be no more stressful moment in, in, you know, hopefully, but no other CrossFit athlete has ever had to deal with what I've had to deal with this week of being isolated, of being, of being tested two to three times a day where my games could be over at any moment right? Having to wear a mask and being separated like on the competition floor from everywhere else, right? They're separating her three to four lanes from everybody mm -hmm. else, not being able to talk to people, not being able to, to, you know, to, it just was, it was one of those things that was, it was this unbelievable test and, and she passed it. And I think after she did that, she was like, you know, I, I've got to give myself a little bit of a break here. Like I've got, you know, like I, what I did was pretty special. And I know that if I'm able to kind of level myself out mentally, I can be even better than that. Um, and we talked a lot about it. And, and since then, I think, you know, now listen, she still has her, her moment, <laughs> but her moments where she would have a meltdown and they would last two or three days, you know, where I would have to talk her off the ledge. They now last 10 minutes. And she's able to bounce back and she's able to, to learn from it. And I'm, I'm incredibly proud of her because, you know, I, I can see, you know, the difference. Um, now physically, she's just, she's as talented as an athlete as I've ever seen. Um, but again, we've talked about that, you know, you can be incredibly talented and still not be incredibly successful. 
You know, I, I, there's several athletes that we see in other sports that have been unbelievably talented and not successful. Um, and, uh, you know, she's starting to put it together though, in all aspects. Um, and it's really, uh, it, it, it's really impressive. And it's also one of those things that like, you know, I feel really good about as a coach, you know, being able to see her do that and, and kind of help her and assist her in her journey. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. I bet like there's, and I'm not saying this is the case, Danielle, cause I don't know her as an individual, but what we quite often see is when people are volatile, it's like often this, this fear of, something driving it it's like fear of for some people being hurt fear of not being good enough fear of all these kind of things that could possibly come up and it's like that fear driven volatility is often quelled when we develop when we pass a severe test when something is like okay i i pass this test with flying colors um and it's it's a useful thing to remember it's like okay we've got to like you said, see this obstacle as an opportunity. Like this is the the test, the gauntlet that I'm is being thrown down right now is for me. This is the opportunity for me, and hopefully we can replace some of that fear with competence because competence breeds confidence. That's what we want at the end of the day. And then we don't have that volatile reaction. Maybe we can see with a tiny bit more of an analytical viewpoint on that. Yeah, and I, and I think that was her moment. You know, yeah. um, and I didn't think she would, you know, she was kind of talking about it afterwards, but she was like, you know, not necessarily divine intervention, right? But just like this was thrust on me, and I feel like it was thrust on me for a reason. And essentially, it was one of those things where, like, if I don't learn from it, then, you know, all of this has essentially been a waste. You know, like this was, this was a really in- incredible moment for me to be able to persevere and show my resiliency and the fact that I was able to do it, come out the other side and I can grow and, and, and learn from this and be such a better athlete. Um, and I, and I think it's done just that, you know, yeah. um, and it's, it's really cool to see. Yeah. After this is up, I'm going to uh, send you a podcast link that we recorded with an author called William B. Irvin. Um, he wrote a book called The Stoic Challenge, and it's all about seeing everything through that lens. It's like this this has been thrown down by the stoic gods, and this is my gauntlet, and this is my challenge that I'm going to overcome. It's, um, yeah, really cool episode, and this book is fantastic too. What are the, what have been your biggest tests as a coach in terms of mindset? Uh, you know, I, Honestly, I, I think that one of the toughest things, um, you know, I mean, I, I think the pand, I think the pandemic, um, and and more so because our business was shut down for eight months. Uh, we picked up our family and moved from New York to Las Vegas in the middle of the pandemic, um, you know, because we didn't have an, a source of income. Um, it, it, you start to question yourself. Um, and it's crazy to think, but really like I had this unbelievably successful business that was essentially shut down overnight. Mm. And then now I've got a family, I've got two kids and, and you start to question yourself as, as, as person, you know, and, and essentially like, you know, how did, my life get to this point. Like now, you know, we don't have an income source. We're going to burn through our savings. Um, you know, there's a lot of, of doubt as, as, uh, as you know, where I felt like 
I was a success, you start to question that and doubt that. And then I think that spills over into everything that you do. Um, you know, and, uh, but, it, but then it was one of those moments where like, you know, my wife and I kind of had several sit downs, you know, brainstorming sessions where we were just like bouncing things off the wall. What are we going to do next? Right. I mean, Carrie moved out here to Vegas with us. So it was awesome that I was still being able to coach her, but you know, I really didn't have an, a source of income. Um, you know, we lost our business and it was a, it was a scenario where, you know, I think for a, a lot of years, you know, um, I had always thought of, well, should I, you know, should I create a program, an online program? There's all these, you know, there's already all these online programs, you know what I mean? Like that's another online program. Um, but we took the chance, you know, and, and we, and we took a risk and I always say, if you don't take a risk, you never get anywhere in life. And, you know, we started underdogs now about a year ago. Um, and you know, it's been unbelievably successful and it's kind of taken off and it's created this entire new world for us and this new community, this new family, um, this new business, you know, which is, which has really enabled us to be able to thrive. Um, and I think, you know, it, it, it was kind of, you know, at a time of, of, uh, like you just said, was at a time of extreme severe, we were able to, you know, overcome this. And, um, it, it was, uh, it was really cool for me. If I look, step back and look at it objectively, um, to kind of, again, see there was coming out of like a traumatic experience and, and, you know, that we were able to devise uh, a plan and be able to create something, you know, for us to be able to, to strive and, and, and be successful. Um, and, uh, so I think as a coach, you know, it was one of those moments where it was like, you know, if you can kind of get through this, then, then you can, you can pretty much get through anything because it honestly, we, we kind of hit rock bottom as far as, you know, um, I would say everything except for health, right? <laughs> like we were still healthy, which is huge, you know, cause yeah. if you don't have health, you don't have anything. um, but everything else, you know, was rock bottom. Um, you know, like lose your business. You don't know where your next paycheck's coming from, all those different things. Um, and, and, you know, but, but at the end of the day, I think my wife and I have always kind of subscribed to the idea that like, if you do something for the right reasons and you create something to help people, then ultimately the universe will provide. <laughs> and I don't know if that's ridiculous, but, but that's, that's kind of what we've done. And, 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 you know, we, we, created this thing. And again, I feel like we're helping people reach their maximum potential. And, um, you know, this time now it's, it's, it's kind of like on a, on a global online program, you know, and, yeah. and it's, it's cool, man. That's, uh, so I think that, you know, that was kind of a, a, a big, a big moment for us. Yeah, I bet. Um, before I have to wrap up, yeah. um, there's a couple of questions about culture that I'd like to ask you. Um, and the first one was actually from when we interviewed Bethany and she, I can't remember the exact story, um, but it culminated in you coming over to her and saying something like, Oh, we don't act like that here. That's not the way we do things here. Something like that. What are the rules of underdogs? Uh, I mean, I think the, the biggest rule for us is like treat, treat everybody the way you want to be treated. Um, and I know that's an easy statement to say, but ultimately like this is a family, like, there are a lot of 
coach-athlete relationships that are business relationships. I I don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm a very emotional person. And if somebody takes, if somebody trusts me with their livelihood, like that's their career, they trust me, I can't help but create a bond. Like there's a special bond that's created. Um, and I, you know, I look at these athletes, they, they're not, they're not just, you know, it's it's not just coach athlete. It's not someone who I just make money off of. No, it's this this is someone who ultimately has taken, you know, has taken the leap of faith um, to choose us, you know, to guide them, to coach them, to mentor them. And for me, that's, that's, uh, you know, that's community, that's family, that's love. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing, you know, is, is that that's the way we treat everybody. And, and, you know, from the top down, we expect that, that that's the way that others should treat, you know, treat, treat everybody else. Beautiful. Um, Let's wrap up with one question that I ask everyone. What habits do you perform for your own mental health and performance? Man, oh man. Um, you know, as a, it, it really is one of those things that can get, that can get lost as a, as a father of a five-year-old and a two-year-old. Yeah. Busy. And then, yeah. Um, you know, I try to every single day, just take a few minutes uh, to slow down um, you know, to breathe and, and just, you know, try to look at everything, uh, like I said, from an extremely positive standpoint and understand that like, no matter how challenging things get, you know, we are incredibly fortunate and we've been, you know, we've been given this platform to be able to help people. Mm. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's easy to get caught up in your own bullshit and, and, you know, and, and not really understand that. So every day for me, there's a, there's a moment where I just try to close my eyes, even if it's for five minutes and, and reflect on that. Um, and that, that, that tends to bring me a little bit of peace and, and helps me to be able to, to try to be a positive influence, you know, no matter how stressful things get, um, you know, and try to be a positive influence on those that are the, the closest to me, which is obviously my family and, and the underdogs community. Perfect. Where can people follow you, follow underdogs? Uh, yeah. Find out more about how to work with you. Yeah. So, uh, in, in Instagram underdogs athletics, uh, we you then go to the website underdogsathletics.com and they can, uh, I'm at Justin Cutler on Instagram as well. So Perfect. those are the best Justin, places. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, Tom. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Limitless Athlete Podcast. Head over to iTunes, head over to Spotify, head over to YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star review if you'd be so kind. But make sure you subscribe. Subscribing is the only way that you can make sure that you don't miss out on any upcoming podcasts that we have. Whilst you're there, it may be useful to quickly head over to Instagram and follow Mindset RX. So Mindset RXD and you'll be doubly reminded of any upcoming podcasts and also we'll try and share some brain gains. Anyway, next week I'll be back with the wonderful Logan Gelbrick and this is, yeah, this is a real thinker of a podcast episode. So have a good week, enjoy your training and uh, embrace some hardship. <laughs>